Well, what a joy it is to be here today. Thank you all for joining us. And the uh, uh, crowd kind of filled in a little bit, and so we're thankful for that. Uh, today, uh, we're looking at Exodus chapters 1 through 15. So go ahead and uh, turn there. Uh, while you're turning, uh, this past week I was fishing. Uh, I, I wasn't here last week. Uh, Pastor Philip uh, uh, shared a message on Joseph. Today we're picking up 400 years later in Exodus chapter 1 all the way to Exodus chapter 15, 400 years after Joseph, we're picking up there. So, uh, but last week I was fishing. I was in Montana. Wasn't, uh, there, was, there, there wasn't cell service. That's good, right? Um, had uh, spotty Wi-Fi, and I got to fish every day, eight or ten hours a day. Uh, and I want to thank you all for being gracious with me, your pastor, allowing me to get away with uh, away for some rest and relaxation and rejuvenation, uh, and thankful for my wife who is uh, even more patient with me than you are, and uh, and so had a great time. But the evenings were a little interesting because again, no cell phone, uh, uh, no no, uh, it didn't really have a lot of entertainment going on. Uh, after it got dark, you eat, and the dark happens, and so no TV. Uh, so. Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, who I'll go fishing with uh, at times, he, he uh, came prepared. He had a playlist, or he had his phone, and he had all these songs, uh, and he has a lot of eclectic kind of uh, 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 musical taste, a little strange. I really enjoy it. Um, but uh, he, and, and he brought a speaker, a, a Bluetooth speaker that filled up the whole cabin with, with uh, music. Um, and so I was ready for a lot of different kind of uh, songs that he had put on the playlist, but then he started playing some country songs. Now, you probably don't know this about me, but I love country music. Amen. I really do. Now, but let me explain country music. I, when I say country music, I mean real country music. I mean Hank Williams and Hank Williams Jr. country music. I mean Merle Haggard Jr. Country music. I mean, George Jones, uh, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, David Allen Coe, that kind of country music. You know what I'm talking about? Well, maybe you don't. Y'all, I'm getting a lot of blank stares. <laughs> right? That's the kind of country music that I like. So he was playing some, uh, uh, some George Jones. I wouldn't recommend Conway Twitty to anybody. Um, but some of that came up, and I said, skip it fast, right? Um, but he was playing these uh, songs that... And some of the songs came up, and, and he just kind of stared at me because he was like, how, how do you know these songs? And, well, the race is on, and here comes pride in the backstretch, heartache coming through the inside. My tears are holding back. They're trying not to fall. My heart's out of the running. True love scratch for another's sake. Well, the race is on, and it looks like heartache, and the winner loses all. He was like... How do you know that? I said, I'm, uh, I, I'm digging up bones, I'm digging up bones, exhuming things that's better left alone. I'm resurrecting memories of a love that's dead and gone. Yeah, tonight I'm staying at home, digging up bones. He just, he, he just, uh, just uh, John Anderson. There's a little girl in my neighborhood. Her name is Charlotte Johnson, and she's really looking good. I went to go see her, so I called her on the phone, went over to her house, and this was going on. 
uh, her her mother was on the uh, her brother was on the front porch um, eating chocolate pie. Her mother was in the kitchen cutting chicken up to fry. Her daddy was in the backyard rolling up a garden a garden hose, and I was on the porch with Charlotte, feeling love down to my toes, and we were swinging. <laughs> yeah, we were swinging. Little Charlotte, she's as pretty as an angel when they sing. Anyway, there are others. And, and they would just come, and he would, he would have these songs, and, and they would seem obscure. But I know he said, how do you know these songs? I said, this is my groove. This is, this is, what, this is what I know. And, and, and these songs would remind me of things. Y'all know how songs do that. Uh, songs, the songs of your heart, they'll remind you of things. Some of those are good things, and some of those are sad things. That's what songs have the power to do. They, they, they enliven us to joy, or they enliven sorrow in our hearts. And I don't know what songs there are that I don't know what your groove is, but I know that you have a song. And today we're looking at a song. Exodus chapter 15 is a song in the heart of Moses. And really, it's the song that stands at the heart of Scripture. It's a song of God's power and sovereignty. It's a song of God's great love. It's a song that gives us hope in the midst of despair. It's a song that promises rescue in the midst of our captivity. It's a song that should be sung by every follower of Jesus. We're here today, and this is our song. In fact, this is the song of heaven when all the, uh, the martyred saints of the tribulation are standing in the halls of heaven and they're standing on that crystal sea they're only singing two songs and it's not amazing grace or victory in Jesus it is the song of Moses and it's the song of the lamb and today we're going to lean into this song of celebration that Moses sings because of God's rescuing love and so as we look at Exodus chapters 1 through 15, I want you to join me, and and let's just kind of lean into chapter 15. That's the song of Moses, if you have headings in your copy of Scripture. And by the way, those headings are not inerrant, infallible Word of God. Those are just something somebody put there. Uh, But if you have a heading in chapter 15, uh, like mine, it says, Song of Moses. And get it from chapter 15 where it says, And Moses began to sing, and the children of Israel began to sing. And why were they singing? They were singing because God had rescued them. God had given them a way out. And today, this song stands as a bedrock for you and me in the song that we can sing, the song of celebration because our God has rescued us. I want you to, I, I, let me read a, a few of these a few of these verses in, in Exodus chapter 15. And, and then, uh, and, and then I, I want us to really key in on verse 13. So Moses, chapter 15, verse 1, Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And by the way, that's how songs of worship are supposed to be. 
Songs of worship are supposed to be sung unto the Lord, not sung unto each other. Not sung to you so that you feel good. It's not the same thing as we hear listening to our playlists on the radio or on our iPad or, 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 or on our iPhone or, or whatever device we use. Uh, those are songs that we sing for ourselves. That's, that's what that is. That's not what songs of worship are about. Songs of worship are about us singing praise and adoration to the Lord and in In our songs of praise and adoration to the Lord, we encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, not to each other. I don't have any problem singing a good song of worship and being off key or off note. Doesn't bother me a bit because I'm not singing for your entertainment. Do you understand? This is what worship is about. Worship is not about us putting on a good show. Worship is about us singing unto the Lord. Is that how you're worshiping? All right, so anyway, that, by the way, that was free. Didn't cost you a dime. That, that was right, just right there. Uh, so they sang this song to the Lord, spoke and said, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. And he has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior on behalf of his own. That's what that means. The Lord is a man of war. He's a warrior. The Lord is his name. Go down to verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them, the enemies. Now, verse 13. This is going to come up on the screen. I want you to see this. Okay? This this is really the heart of the song. Your, with your faithful love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. With your faithful love, you will lead the people that you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with strength. Now, I want you to key in on a couple of things. First of all, his faithful love is the driving characteristic over his actions. It is God's faithful love that drive his actions. Now, what, is, what, what do his actions demand? His actions demand redemption. He, it is rescue. Redemption is the first course of his leadership. It's the first action of his faithful love. His faithful love leads him to rescue those who are in captivity. And then what does he do once he rescues them? His faithful love leads the people and guides them every single day by his strength to his holy dwelling or his holy habitation. Now, as we look at this, and then as we look at this in the context of chapters 1 through 15, I want you to understand, I want us to be gripped, not just get it up here in our head, but allow it to sink into our heart that, that, that God is taking us on a journey of rescuing love uh, so that we might fulfill his purpose. God's, God's taking us on a journey of rescue to fulfill 
his purpose. That's the big picture of this passage. That, that today we can rest, not just in what God did back in 1500 B.C. or 1200 B.C. That's sometime around there when Moses led the children of Israel uh, through the Red Sea and in, 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 into victory and began to sing this song. Somewhere between 1500 and 1200 B.C. But it's not just what happened then. It's what we have today. This is the paradigm, the pattern of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not but have everlasting life. This is the pattern of God's rescuing love. It leads the way out for us. Out of the bad into the good. Out of the darkness into the light. Out of the despair into the joy. Out of death into life. This is what God's love does. And as we look at this passage, we we begin to understand, see, fail, taste. It begins to soak into our souls so that we can begin to celebrate it in our everyday life. Guys, listen, if I could jump down there, get in your skin and help you see it, I would. That's what I want to do. By the way, I'm I'm not going to do anything creepy like that, but I'm going to try to do that with my words, right? Okay? Um, It's like, ah! Yeah. I just, it is so imperative that we understand that Exodus chapters 1 through 15 isn't just about Moses. It's not just about about, uh, Moses in a basket found by Pharaoh's daughter. It's not just about uh, Moses uh, on the backside of a wilderness in Midian uh, being encountered and captured by God from the burning bush. It's not just Moses and Aaron going to, to Egypt and, and, and going to Pharaoh and saying, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh in chapter 5 says, I don't know who this God is. And, 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 and Moses and Aaron then uh, uh, being led by God to, to, to do miraculous powers, to show off who God is, his, his righteous right hand, his strength, his power. Saying, let my people go, and and God promising again and again to Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel, even to Pharaoh, saying, hey, listen, I'm going to set them free. And and Moses and Aaron going, and and, and God sending them again to Pharaoh's court, and and saying, Pharaoh, God's getting ready to show his power, and and, and that power is going to come through plagues, and and we don't like to talk about the plagues too much. I, I, I don't like to talk about them too much, but, but, but we've got to talk about them. These plagues that came to convince Pharaoh of God's great power. Moses, who was raised in Pharaoh's house. You know the story in, in, in Exodus chapter 2, right? The, the story, uh, Pharaoh was fearful of the, the children of Israel. They'd grown in number and multiplied. That's chapter 1. And so he commanded all the male children to be drowned and and, uh, and, and Moses' mother, Moses is born, Moses' mother hides Moses and then after three months knows that she can't hide him successfully any longer. So she comes up with a scheme. She puts Moses in a basket, puts the basket in the shallow part of the river where she knows the Pharaoh's daughter is going to come and take a bath. The Pharaoh's daughter comes. She sees the baby, hears the baby cry, and she has compassion. Literally, her heart is opened to that little baby and, and she picks him up. Moses' sister is waiting and hiding for Pharaoh's daughter to pick up Moses. She runs to Pharaoh's daughter and says, do you want a a Hebrew wet nurse to take care of this baby? And Pharaoh's daughter says, well, yeah, I need that. And so uh, Moses' 
sister went, uh, went to get Moses' mother, who then became the wet nurse to Moses and king uh, of Egypt's court. If that's not God doing some things, I don't know what is. But then Moses, when he's a young man, he gets mad and he sees uh, an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew. And even though uh, Moses uh, walked like an Egyptian and talked like an Egyptian, courtesy of the Bengals, even though he walked and talked and looked like an Egyptian, he was a Hebrew at heart. And he saw his brother being beaten by an Egyptian. He got mad. He lost his temper. He sinned against God, and he killed that guy premeditatedly. Uh, you make no mistake. You read the passage there in chapter 2. Moses was looking around, seeing if anybody would see him as he plotted the death of this Egyptian, and he did it. Amazingly, God still used a murderer. You think about that. Moses, a murderer. Used by God for his purpose. God uses crooked sticks all the time. Aren't you thankful? Boy, I sure am. So anyway, um, Moses uh, has to flee and goes into Midian, encounters God in in, in Exodus 3 at the burning bush, Exodus 4. God answers Moses' objections with Aaron and some other answers. I'm going to be with you, he says. I'm going to be with you, he says. I'm going to be with you. And so chapter uh, 5, Moses and Aaron go first to Pharaoh, says Pharaoh. God says, let my people go, Pharaoh says. In chapter 5, I don't know this God, so why should I let your people go? Uh, Chapter 6, God continues to affirm, yes, I'm going to deliver the people out of the bondage of Egypt. Uh, Chapter uh, 7, we begin to see the plagues, and the plagues are 10 in number. Uh, The plagues begin with God turning the water into blood, uh, and then uh, chapter chapter 8 is the plague of frogs, uh, uh, the plague of lice, the plague of flies. The fifth plague in chapter 9 is the plague of, of diseased livestock the plague of boils on the skin, uh, the plague of hail. Um, In chapter 10, we have the eighth plague of locusts. uh, And then uh, chapter uh, chapter 10, the ninth plague of darkness. And then chapter 11 and 12 and 13 is the tenth plague, uh, the, the, the plague of death. And again, I wish we didn't have to talk about this, but for us to understand God showing his power, we need to understand the judgment that he brought on Pharaoh. And Pharaoh refused to believe that God could um, overthrow him, and God kept saying, I can overthrow you. And so finally, uh, after nine plagues, after the plague of darkness, God says, now watch. He'll be convinced now. Because I bring the plague of death. And the, the angel of death was going to visit every home in Egypt. And, and, and every firstborn in that home would be killed. Unless there was the blood of a Passover lamb uh, on the doorposts of the home. And the angel of death would see the, the, the blood of the Passover lamb. And he would pass over that home and the firstborn would live. 
After the angel of death visited Pharaoh's home, he said to Moses and Aaron, get these people out of here. The scripture says in chapter 13 that that the children of Israel left Egypt with the high hand. You know what the high hand is? The high hand means that they're walking along and they're praising God. They're saying, whoa, look what our God has done. Have you forgotten to walk around with a high hand when you're praising the Lord? I'm not saying you have to do it. I know some of you would get arthritis in your shoulders if you had to lift up your hand and pray. And that's okay. Look, that is okay. Uh, that, there is no mandated form of corporate worship or personal private worship except for the fact that it must be worship. But in your heart of hearts, are you shouting glory to the king who has given you victory? When you get in this place, when you are here in this place corporately, man, we need to turn the throttle up. Our God, in his faithful love, has rescued us. We need to celebrate. They left with a high hand, and and then God began to lead them. He didn't lead them on a straight path. He led them through the wilderness. He led them at the end of chapter 13. He says he's leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They knew that God was leading them. That pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire never disappeared. They knew that God was leading them. Chapter 14, though, God leads them straight into a predicament. There's uh, the mountains on one side, the Red Sea on the other, and then Pharaoh gets mad and he decides he's going to kill all the children of Israel and he runs after them in his chariots. So here they are camped out on the shores of the Red Sea with no place to go except death. And they cry out in despair. Uh, listen to what they say. Chapter 14, uh, look, at, look at verse 11. It's, they said to Moses. Now here are the people that just uh, briefly, short time before, were leaving Egypt with a high hand. Look, look at verse 11. So they spoke to Moses. Things get tough. Everything gets impossible. Uh, here's what they said. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness? Does that sound familiar? Doom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Doom, despair, and agony on me. Verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Good word. Stand still. Good word. And see the salvation of the Lord, which... He will accomplish for you this day. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Good word. They go forward, and God parts the Red Sea. 
and, and, and parts the Red Sea so that they're walking on dry ground. The pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that was before them now moves, and it says the messenger of the Lord moved behind them. God parts the sea in front of them. The messenger of the Lord goes behind them so that the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire block the Egyptians' view. That's how God does. He parts the Red Seas in front of us, and he stands between us and danger behind us. And they walk through on dry ground. The waters swallow up the Egyptian army, and Moses begins to sing a song of celebration. Now, what does that have to do with us here and now? It's a good story about Moses, right? Good story about how God did that for the children of Israel, right? What does that have to do with us? Well, it has everything to do with who we are as the people of God. It has everything to do. It's not just a story about what God did back then. It's a story about what God is doing now, here and now, in this place, in your heart, in this church, in our life, in our time. It's about us and God and us. And us in relationship with God. Today, my prayer for you is that you would be captured again by what God does and as he takes us on this journey of rescue for his purpose. You know, the very meaning of Exodus, the, the, the title of the book, the very meaning of Exodus is, is uh, way out. It's, it's uh, X in in in. Greek and, and in Latin, X, and even in English, but X means out of. Odus is both in Greek and in Latin. Odus means way or path or road. And what, what we see here is that God made a way out of the danger to deliverance, out of the Despair to the delight, out of death and darkness to life and light. This is who God is. He, he, he paves the way out of the chains. That's, that's what I want us to see today. God's love, his faithful love, with his faithful love, he redeems. With his faithful love, he, he paves the way out of our chains. What are the chains? The chains for the children of Israel were Egypt, right? And they, they were the, the making bricks without any straw and the raised up quota and going to get beat up and even killed and, and punished because they didn't make their quota. This is, this is uh, their bondage, the bondage of, of, of taskmasters over them, beating them, robbing them of food, uh, keeping them down. That's, that's the chains for them. But what about us? What's the chains for us? Make no mistake, throughout the rest of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, the exodus out of our chains is the exodus out of the chain of our sin. Our bondage isn't to a human earthly power. Our bondage is to a spiritual force of sin that has created a vacuum of life and a vortex of death. Make no mistake, the penalty, the price, the, the, the punishment of our sin, the, 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 the cost of our sin is 
death, death emotionally, death spiritually, death physically. That's what our sin does, your sin, my sin, our sin. It has killed us already. It's Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who now works among the sons of disobedience. And you were by nature, I was by nature, we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That is our plight. But God, Ephesians 2, 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together through Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. Here is our victory, our rescue. It's not in what we do. It's not in what we've done. It's what God has done for us. That's his grace. His faithful love leads us out of the chain, the pain, the shame, the cell of our sin so that we can be forgiven. And that's happening not because of of something that we do, but it's happening because of what God has done through Jesus. For the children of Israel, they escaped death because the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb, was laid upon the doorpost of their home. We find deliverance from death, spiritual death, emotional death, and physical death. We find deliverance not because of some uh, animal that has been slain and sacrificed, but because Jesus himself is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We find forgiveness for our sin, not through acts of goodness or works that we have done, but because God in his love sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. When Jesus, when Jesus was meeting with his disciples, John 13, in an upper room, he meets with them and he washes their feet. And the scripture says in John 13, 1 and 2, it says that having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved the way the Father has loved him. He loved uh, his followers. And, and so Jesus loved them to the end. So he washed their feet, even the feet of Judas who would betray him. And so Jesus is there at their feet. And then they have communion together or Eucharist or, or Lord's Supper or Last Supper, or however you want to term it. It's that meal. It's the Passover meal. Jesus celebrated the Passover meal, the Passover meal that was instituted in Exodus chapter 12. The Passover meal that uh, faithful Hebrews uh, celebrated year after year after year so that they could stop and remember God's rescuing love. So Jesus met with his his followers, his disciples in that upper room, and he began to participate in the Passover meal. And they knew what it meant for Moses and the children of Israel. They knew what the psalmists and the prophets had to say about the Passover. But Jesus filled that meal with new significance when he held up the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. When he poured the cup and he passed it, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus was taking upon himself the identity of the Passover lamb. Jesus viewed himself as he hung upon a cross. He viewed himself as the sacrifice for sinners to set us free. Today, we celebrate this. This is the song of Moses. This is the song of the lamb. My goodness, how, how does that not capture us over and over and over again? I know some of you get so tired of me talking about this. 
I mean, I, I, preacher, why don't you talk about something of, of, of more substance? Why don't you go deeper in the Word? We need to go deeper in the Word. Friends, there is no more substantive thing. There is no uh, deeper thing in the Word of God than the good news of God's great love rescuing us from our sin by Jesus Christ. This is the core of who we are. There's nothing more. Stop looking for some secret knowledge. Rest in this one truth. God sends us on a journey of rescue, and, and that journey of rescue means that his love has paved a way out of our chains that our sin have created. I pray some of you are here today, and yet you, you, you haven't been set free yet. Oh, I pray God would get hold of your heart right now and speak to you and call you and bring you to himself. And you would, on bent knee before a holy God, cry out to Jesus as your only hope for rescue. And you would say, set me free, Jesus. Forgive my sin. Make me whole. Oh, that's, that's the exodus. See, it's not just about Israel's way out. It's about our way out. But it doesn't just stop there. See, see, it's not just he, he, he has redeemed us, but it's also with his faithful love, he leads those who he redeems. Isn't that good news? See, I've been rescued. I've been rescued for 40 years now, four decades. I've been rescued. I am thankful that he has led me every single day. I haven't followed every single day. But I am thankful that he leads me every single day. And that, that's what the second part of this, this application I want to bring to you is that not only does God's love pave the way out of our chains, but, but God's love makes the way out of our difficulty and our disappointment. Now, I don't want to minimize the Red Sea crossing. I don't want to minimize it at all. I mean, this is great power that God holds up the waters on each side. And the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. That's, man, that's spectacular. I don't want to minimize the powerful nature of that, of that moving of God's hand. But, but on the other hand, I don't want to minimize how God still gives us Red Sea moments in the face of our difficulty and our disappointments. Children of Israel were stuck in difficulty and disappointment. They didn't know what to do. They were in the impossible, and they didn't have a view or a vision of the possible. They were stuck, and they didn't know what to do. And, and isn't that how it is with us in life? I mean, life is filled with difficulty and disappointment. We are stuck with the impossible, and we don't know what to do. My goodness, that's what country songs are all about. I mean, if you're singing Digging Up Bones... I'm digging up bones. Randy Travis was having a hard day. He put his ring on his finger and he gave hers a fling because he was digging up bones. Y'all can look up the lyrics. It's really a good song. But it's all about, it's all about David Allen Coe. I was drunk the day my mom got out of prison and I went to pick her up in the rain. But before I could uh, get her in the pickup truck, she got run over by dang old train. So I'll hang around as long as you are with me. I never minded crying in the rain. And you don't have to call me darling, darling. You never even call me by my name, 
This is sadness, despair. <laughs> but God, isn't that good? God, I've gone over time. God transforms our song of sorrow to a song of joy. He takes us in the midst of our disappointment and our difficulty. And where all we can see is the impossible, God intervenes. And he says, don't look at the mountain. Look at the God who made the mountain. Don't look at the sea. Look at the God who controls the wind and the wave and the sea. Don't look at the sun. I can stop it in its track. Don't look at the dry ground. I can bring water out of a rock. Don't look where there is no food. I'll bring bread from heaven and quail from nowhere else. Don't look at the impossible. Look at the God who can move the impossible to possible. Guys, we can still have our Red Sea moments, and we can still live in the difficulty and the disappointment, and, and it's there for us. But in the midst of our difficulty and disappointment, look to the God who rolled away a stone and raised his son from the dead. This is the resurrection power that God makes available to everyone who believes. Oh, my goodness. God still gives us Red Sea moments. Don't treat with contempt the power of the living God. (sighs) Be captured. Here's how we find courage and comfort in the face of our difficulty and our disappointment. It's not in what we can do, but it's in the power of God who can do for us, who is for us. That's just good stuff. God's love paves the way out of our chain. He redeems us. God's love makes a way out of our difficulties. He's leading us. And finally, God's love uh, leads the way out by his strength toward hope. The place God's leading us is himself. His holy habitation, his holy dwelling, his holy sanctuary, whatever your translation says, he's talking about himself there. Do you realize that the goal, the purpose of this life is to get close to God? Do you realize that? It's not for you to make your money. It's not for you to make a name for yourself. It's not for you to uh, fall in love and be all lovey-dovey. I mean, that's good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to live in the presence of the living God, to be captured by Him. That's That's the hope we have. The hope we have is that even when death confronts us, God overwhelms death by Jesus. That that we can live in in the personal presence of the living God today. We can can taste the full measure of his pleasure as we walk with him, not because of what we do, uh, what we've done, but because he has made himself available to us. He is the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire so that every day the children of Israel knew that he was leading them. Today we have his spirit residing within us, his word before us, and we know that he is leading us and he is leading us to himself. And there is where our hope resides. There is where our comfort rests. There is where our courage is awakened in us. It's not in me being the preacher drumming up all this emotion. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm going to get a little emotional when I talk about this stuff. It's not about, about the preacher drumming up this emotion. It is about God by his spirit through his word speaking to the very core of your being. 
Look, I know, I know that we're on a journey of pain and trouble and terror and tragedy and sorrow and grief and difficulty. Yes, doom, despair, and agony on me. I know that is part of this life's journey, but friends, that doesn't have to define your life. What defines our life is the God who breaks into that doom and despair and agony on me and shows himself strong, the warrior who fights for us, tender, the father who holds us in his hands, gentle yet strong. This is who God is. This is what his love does. My prayer for us today is that we would be captured again by the faithful love of God, that it would capture our hearts in such a way that we wouldn't be able to get over it anytime soon. Today, my prayer is that you would join the song of celebration. I don't know what your song is. I don't. I know you've got one. And your song may be filled with notes of sorrow and pain and grief. My prayer is that even in the midst of that sorrow, God today, by his grace through Jesus, would transform the notes of sorrow into celebration. And he can. And he will. Because that's what his love does. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As we've gathered here today, my prayer for us is that, first, if you are here and you have yet to be rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are still stuck in the death of sin, the, the, where you are dead spiritually and dead emotionally, and ultimately there's a death that's coming physically. And you are struggling in the emptiness of life because you are separated from God by your sin. Today, God has opened your eyes to see that his love has paved a way and built a bridge of rescue through the death of Christ on a cross and his resurrection from the dead. His death on the cross that provides forgiveness for your sin, his resurrection that provides new life, a new start for you. Today, you hear God calling your name, uh, drawing you to himself, and today is your day to choose Christ. Today is your day to embrace him as Savior and King. Today is your day and this is your moment uh, to, by faith, repent your sin and turn to Jesus as your only hope for rescue. If that's who you are in the moments that are to follow as we respond to God in, in song of praise, I invite you, if you are Here today, and God is calling you to choose Christ, I invite you to come to one of the ministers that will be here at the front. You tell them, I I need to to be rescued from the chain of my guilt, the the shame of my sin. I'm I'm lost. I need need rescue, and, and we'll help you with that commitment. I understand that most of us in this room today are followers of Jesus, and and as followers of Jesus, we have uh, uh, been captured by the the chaotic notes and the uh, mournful 
sounds of the blues in our soul. And today I invite you to turn to God and find comfort and courage to face the difficulty and disappointment that is part of your life. Today I invite you to come um, and bend your heart before the God who parts red seas and moves mountains and stops the sun in its track. I, I invite you to come to the God who brings bread from heaven and death cannot hold him. I invite you to come once again to God and find his courage and his comfort springing forth from his love, soaking your soul with nourishment. This altar will be open for you to come and call out to the Father. By the way, that's what prayer is. Every time Moses prayed to the Father, God answered. And God responded. Maybe you need to come like Moses and cry out to God. God, help. God, help. God, I need, I need clarity. God, help. God will respond. That's what his love does. So, Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would transform songs of sorrow into songs of celebration. I pray that you would lead those whom you are drawing to yourself right now. Lead them to rescue through Jesus Christ, the King. I pray that you would help those who are your people to look to your word, to lean into your spirit, to find hope and courage as they cry out to you. I pray, O oh God, that you would transform our hearts today. Bring about a renewal in our soul. Give joy and celebration as we sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Now be glorified as we look to you and as we worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.